Hey podcasters, just wanted to give you a heads up that this week's sermon was from our associate pastor, Eric Pope. He covered John 15 and Jesus' final I am statement, I am the vine, uh, with just great clarity and some really strong application. So I'm really excited for you to hear from our associate pastor, Eric Pope. We just read that the Spirit will come as the helper and advocate to point us toward Jesus. And in this passage, we're given a picture of who Jesus is in relation to God the Father as well. So we're given a very Trinitarian picture of how God works through us as his disciples. So let's look at John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit in of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein my Father is glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue and continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for revealing yourself to us. Um, and God, thank you for dumbing it down for us. Uh, because it's hard for us to understand. And it's so helpful whenever you, you give us these pictures uh, and illustrations that help us to understand who you are. Um, God, help us to not just understand in our head, but really take this knowledge to our hearts and get who you are and how that relates to how we live, because we know that we are totally helpless and lifeless apart from your animating energy and power in us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that you will teach us today, help us to see the things that we need to prune in our own lives, and Lord, help us to become more fruitful for you as a result of what we hear and what we do. Thank you and praise you for all you've done. In your name I pray. 
Amen. I have recently become an aspiring gardener, which sounds like nothing. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I read a book, um, and it was called Crunchy Cons, and it's about being a conservative who like cares about the earth, kind of, uh, and not conservative in the sense, like, yes, conservative in the, the sense that we typically think of it, but also conservative in the sense that we are conserving the things that really matter here on the earth. And that's, that's things like the earth <laughs> and, and our families uh, and our homes, like caring about our homes and things that really matter. And one of the things that it really focused on uh, was food, which was interesting, not something I had thought about a whole lot. But it, it talked a lot about how um, sharing the family table uh, really matters. Um, and that, that's like one of the most basic structures of life that we really need to seek to conserve. And an outgrowth of that was the idea that it's really good to grow your own food. Um, so it, it was at that point, reading the book, that in my mind I was like, I will be a gardener one day. Um, <laughs> but I live in an apartment right now, so I don't really have a yard or anything. So right now I basically have a lot of these little, little pots uh, full of different kinds of plants. Um, but the real reason that this started to become a reality, though I don't have a garden yet, again, I live in an apartment, um, is because my fiance, Cherish, she and I just got engaged a couple, a few weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, um, and she really likes plants, and she grew up in a family that gardens, uh, and they've, they've had a garden ever since she was uh, little, and grown like tomatoes, and just like the typical things that you grow, and so she, she's all about it. And then she also uh, enjoys cooking. So those are, those are both things that she enjoys, and we like to cook together. Um, so it, like my just figurative reality, or abstract reality, like met her, and like it became, I'm actually going to buy some stuff and maybe really do this. So uh, until recently, I had never done that. Uh, my, my family has not been into gardening a whole lot, um, but that is started to become a reality. We recently actually made a dish, it's called pasta primavera, um, and it's just like squash and onions and some other stuff that I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but we, we cooked it, and the, the very last thing, so this, like 99% of it is all this onion, squash, pasta, all this stuff, and then there's 1% basil, and I grew the basil. <laughs> so that was the very first thing that I've ever grown, like from a seed and eaten, and that was that was like a satisfying feeling. Um, but the narrative of God working, or of God using garden analogies or a garden popping up in Scripture pop, pops up pretty early, right? Um, you might be familiar with the Garden of Eden. It was a garden, <laughs> uh, maybe not in the sense that we think of our our little. 12 by 16 foot garden in our yard, but it was a garden nonetheless. Um, the garden narrative runs so deep that it begins on page one in our Bibles. Uh, Jesus, whenever he's using these examples, whenever he's teaching us, uh, he often like pointed towards things that were nearby, right? like things that were right there. Uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't like, I'm going to teach you some really high knowledge that you can't understand. He, he tried to point towards things that they knew. He talked a lot about shepherds. Uh, he talked a lot about growing things. He, he often pointed to the fig trees that, would, that he'd be like walking by. 
He talked about the temple that they would be right next to. He talked about things that they knew. So part of talking about the vine in this situation, he says, uh, I am the vine, and my father is the, it says the husbandman in the KJV, this is an archaic term that means the vine dresser. That's the person who tends to the vine. Okay? Um, but he used things that they knew. But also, on top of the fact that this was something that they would have known because they could see it, and they probably, most Israelites either had a vineyard or at least a few vines growing beside their house if they weren't very wealthy. Um, so this was something that was very much a part of their everyday reality, but it was also something that ran deep in Scripture. So it's, it's ground in the biblical narrative. At the very beginning, we see that man is created as the gardener that fails to bring life and instead brings death. So Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, And God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And God caused, caused to grow from the ground every tree that was pleasing to his sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, along with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So at the very beginning, God's creating life, like he's, he's growing things out of this garden. Um, and he puts man here, and he has, he has a really simple command. It's one command that has two parts, and that is to be fruitful and multiply. Right? And both of those kind of apply towards gardening, right? It, it, it sounds like gardening terms. Um, to, like, make more plants and make sure that they're fruitful, like bear a lot of fruit. So these are some of the most basic terms for reality. Now, he's not just saying, like, make sure you grow lots of apples and oranges, but, but rather to live a life that is a bring, it's bringing forth life and not bringing forth death. And the first thing that man does is bring forth death. It goes against God's command goes against what God has said and and takes reality and this world into their own hands and says, we know better than our creator. And they choose death over life. When humans sin, thistles and thorns spring up and make it difficult to cultivate the earth. But God then promises that the world, uh, that he will crush evil in the world once and for all in Genesis 3, 15. Man then begins a process of essentially going against everything that God has created them for. And then because of this, God, God gets so fed up with what's going on in the earth that he says, I'm just going to start this over. Um, and I, I haven't done a whole lot. How many, by show of hands, have you, have you gardened before? You try to garden. Okay. So sometimes, uh, I remember for me, I, one, one year, I, I think I was like 13 or something, and I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I, I thought that striped tomatoes looked neat, or something, and that's why I chose them. I didn't even like tomatoes, but I was gonna grow them. Um, so, so I like, in North, this was in North Carolina, it's just really sandy soil, and it was really hard, and not good soil at all, <laughs> but I tried to like cultivate this little garden, and I worked at it, uh, and then I, I tried to plant things and nothing, nothing really worked and I just let it, let it go. God had created humans and he had created them for an intended purpose. And humans completely rebelled against God's purposes. Like went completely against what God had intended for them to do. So far to the point that God said, I'm going to flood the earth and start over. So he, he finds a single family that he's, he feels like is faithful to that original command, so that so they're, they're fruitful and they're multiplying and they, they want to be in line with my purposes for them in the world. And this is Noah and his family. 
And so he destroys the entire earth. Noah is saved on the ark with all the animals uh, to be able to be fruitful and multiply whenever he gets off, right? So he gets off, and it seems like things are going really well. The first thing he does is we see that he plants some vines. He's got a grape field, right? Or a grape, I don't know if it's called a field, a, a vineyard. There we go. He's got a vineyard. But so everything's looking really good, like smooth sailing, like uh, God's rebooted this human project. Humans are on the right track. They're growing things. All the animals are there. There's no kind of no sin in the world at this point, but not not really. You know, Noah's still sinful, but for the most part, God has gotten rid of the evil in the world, and it's looking really good. And then the next thing that happens is we see that Noah gets knockout drunk and is totally naked, just like out on the floor, and his sons come up to him. And we see that the next thing that happens is something dark and evil with his son. We, we don't really know exactly what that is. And there's, there's like debate among people who interpret the Bible, but it's either a sexual sin or something that's, com- that's really dishonoring happens with his son while he's in this state of being totally knockout drunk and naked. All right. So horrible situation. Definitely like things, things are looking really good. There's a vineyard. All the animals are good. No evil in the world. And then knockout drunk and evil takes place with his sons. So it failed again. Man has chosen another way other than the way that God created them to live. Then we see that God takes a specific family, again, out of the world. The, the world continues to, to be evil. There's evil rampant in the world. And God chooses a specific family, the family of Abraham, calls him out from the city. And he says, I am going to bless you, and those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse, and you are going to be a light to the nations. And in your seed, or in your children, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. And they, there's this great promise that Abraham's going to be the guy, he's going to be the one that like changes this all around. And then this is what we see later on, okay? Let's look at Isaiah 5. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll read it real quick. It says, it, we're going back to this, this picture of the vineyard. This is a song of my love concerning his vineyard, God concerning his people. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill, and he dug it, and he cleared it of stones, and he planted it with choice vines, and he built a watchtower in the middle of it, and he even hewed out a wine vat in it, and he waited for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do with my vineyard than I have not done for it? Why did I hope for it to yield grapes and it yielded wild grapes? Abraham's family becomes this analogy of the vineyard. And God says, I cleared it of stones. I worked so hard to make this fertile. I even built a watchtower in the middle so that I could make sure that nothing's going to get in. And it turns out nothing got in, but instead from within, something became corrupt. And it yielded wild grapes. And to me, that didn't mean anything. But wild grapes apparently don't taste as good. They're also much smaller. It's not a good yield. So what happens next is it says that God tears down the hedge and lets the boars come in and eat the wild grapes and to, to take over the vineyard because it was, it was pointless. It didn't, it didn't work. The people of Israel are this vineyard. And God had intended... For them to reboot the human project, they were going to be uh, 
what God told Moses, they were going to be a priesthood of believers. And a priest comes before God. They were going to be an entire, uh, or a, a priesthood, a priest to the nations. All the nations around Israel were supposed to come to Israel and see, wow, that's the way that humans are supposed to live. They know the one true God. And instead, God looks at his vineyard and he sees it's corrupt. It's not yielding the fruit that I've created it to yield. It's, it's doing horrible. Like all the, probably even the, the vineyards around looked even better than God's vineyard. He said, I, I don't know what to do with this. And he, he let it, he let the, the boars and all of the, like the thieves to come in and stomp the vineyard to, to crush the vineyard. We also see in Psalm 80, we'll, we'll turn to Psalm 80. A similar analogy. Starting in verse 8, Psalm 80. This should be like right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. It says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room for it, and didst cause it to take deep root. And it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like goodly cedars. She sent out her her boughs unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which which pass by the way do pluck her? The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast in the field doth devour it. Return, we beseech, we beseech thee, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, and behold, and visit this vine, and the vineyard which thy right hand hath planted, and the branch that thou didst made strong for thyself. It is burned with fire, it is cut down, they perish at the rebuke of thy countenance. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself. So will we not go back from thee. Quicken us, and we shall call upon thy name. Turn up us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we will be saved. So this is this is the people of Israel calling out. They realize that they've turned away from God and that God has allowed them to be delivered to their evil. They they got what they chose. Like you made you made your bed, now lay in it, right? So that's that's the situation that Israel's in. But it says this. We we read that. Israel was this vineyard and God lets it be trampled under, but it doesn't leave us without hope in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 12 says, or Isaiah chapter 11 says this, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse or out of the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of its roots. So how many of you saw Batman versus Superman? It it was a big flop. Um, Did anyone see that? All right, huge flop. <laughs> but at the very beginning, it's it's like a, you know how they, they can video in such a way that it makes it look very dismal and things look hopeless. And it's like things are almost like black and white and, and not very much color around. And there's there's like trash blowing around in the wind. And then like the buildings are all demolished over here. And it just it seems dismal. And Superman's gone at this time. Superman's gone into hiding. Uh He's, they say that he's caused more harm than good and all this. And there's like nobody there to save the city and the city is just going to ruin is kind of the way that it's depicted, right? This is kind of the situation that Israel's in. This is the way that they see themselves. They're like, 
God, please. We are, we are in an utter ruin. There's nothing that we can do. It looks like everything is pointing towards the fact that we are just going to be completely destroyed. And then Isaiah says this. It says that there's a stump. So you, you imagine you have all these vines and they would be much bigger than this, obviously, but they're, they're just, well, stumps. Like they've all been cut off. There's almost nothing there. And all of a sudden you see this little shoot, just a little, little sprout come up. And it says there's a, there's a sprout that comes up from the stump of Jesse. And Jesse was Jesus's great, 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 I don't know how many times, grandfather, right? And Jesus comes from this line. And Jesus is this sprout that comes up. And so whenever Jesus says that he is the vine, he's not simply saying, like, look at the things around you. He's also pointing back to all these things in scripture. And he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So let's, let's look back at our passage in John chapter 15. All of this imagery that had been up to this point, all about Israel and largely about Israel being a huge failure, right? Like totally failed at carrying out God's mission, totally failed at being the humans that God created them to be, and all the nations are going to look to them, and they're going to bring life to the whole world. Totally failed. Utter failure. Now Jesus says, I am the vine, and my father is the husbandman or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. And it may bring forth more fruit. God cuts away parts of the vine. This is, this is an actual grapevine that I, I, I don't know if I'll be able to grow anything, honestly. But, um, they, if you don't know anything about gardening, like I didn't at, at one time, I've started to theoretically know more. Uh, because I've looked up stuff, though I don't know it in practice. Uh, but at one point, I would have thought you were crazy if you started cutting at a plant and then told me that it was going to yield more fruit or that it was going to improve because you were cutting things off, right? That would not be helpful. But that's the truth with vines. Um, Oregon State University said poor pruning year after year leads to low yield and poor fruit quality. It's just an article that they came out and they said, you should even trim up 90% of your grapevine if you want it to yield really good fruit. So just a pro tip there for all you uh, people who have vineyards. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it looks like it would do damage to the, to the vine, right? But ultimately, it's going to yield better fruit and more fruit whenever it's cut away. This is the, the image that we're given. Jesus is the vine, like the, the source of life that's coming up from the ground. Jesus says, no longer am I depending, like I, there were all these humans that looked like they could have been the, peop, the person that God was going to use, but ultimately Jesus comes because of what humans failed to do, and he takes our place to bring life to everyone, right? So Jesus is the vine, and all life flows from Jesus. The only reason that these there are leaves on this vine is because there's there is nutrients, there are nutrients and there's life coming from 
what is in the ground, that main source of life, right? If I cut this off, this is worthless. This, this would just be like a branch full of leaves. If I, if I was like, this is going to grow grapes one day, and I just kind of threw it over here in the corner, it is never going to yield any grapes. It's cut off from the source of life. Jesus says that he is the vine, he is the source of life, and whenever we try to do something apart from Jesus, it is not going to yield any fruit. It is lifeless, and you will die as a result. We are the branches intended to bear fruit, according to verses 2 through 8. We are directly dependent on Jesus' giving us life. But he doesn't do this for no reason. He does this so that we bear fruit. So what is that fruit? What is that fruit? Um, because it's not just like whatever we wanted to be. Like, oh, I, I think Jesus wants me to bear the fruit of a nice car and a nice house. No, Jesus, they actually define it. Jesus defines what this fruit is. So let's look in the text. Let's look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather him and, and cast him into the fire. They are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it will be done to you, unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, and so be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. There's a word that pops up three times there. It's love, love, love. God the Father loves God the Son, and the Son loves us. And the, the, the life that flows through the vine is love. And the fruit that is extended out from these branches is love. It's not whatever we make it to be, it's love. And what is that love? Well, it goes on to tell us. It says in verse 13, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So what that means is you guys all need to die for somebody. Not really. But this is a selfless love. This is a self-giving love. First Corinthians tells us that love doesn't it does not enjoy pride. It's not building itself up, but rather building someone else up. Love is others-centered. So bringing people to Jesus means loving them like Jesus, selflessly. When we're connected to the life source of Jesus, his love and joy surges through us. And Jesus says that we need to ask God to produce this fruit in us. We need to ask God to work his love and joy in us in order to make others latch on to that source of life. No one is going to go to Jesus if they aren't seeing love from us. We are the connection point between other people and Jesus. But if we aren't dependent on the source of love, then we are not, we're not going to be expressing that love. And if we're acting out of our own power, if we're doing things that are unloving, that's never going to connect people to Jesus. But you are the connection point. And Jesus says that if you ask anything in my name, and he's, he's talking about not anything again like we talked about last week, but rather something that is connecting other people to Jesus, then he will do it. He is all for bringing people to himself, drawing people to himself, to the source of life. Because just like your phone that dies, mine dies literally every day, probably like around two 
Like it, it dies so quick. It has to constantly be on the charger. Whenever we are apart from Jesus, we die. We are dead. We cannot produce any good thing. We are definitely not producing fruit. You might think that you have fruit, but you have a castle of sand. You have something that is utterly pointless and not helpful. You have to be connected to Jesus in order to yield fruit. And if that's the whole purpose we're here, then you better be connected to Jesus. Jesus says that we're, we are connected to him in order to produce fruit. So what does this look like? All right, I've got a story. Um, my friend Gage Barrett, uh, he is a Young Life leader at Boonville High School. And he is an awesome guy. You, you actually, you might have seen him. He has red hair. Some people think he's my brother. Um, but he's, he's a really cool guy. I didn't know Gage until last year. Um, he's only a sophomore at USI, and he's studying chemistry so that he can be a teacher, but his passion is young life, which sounds like he just loves an organization, but what he really loves is loving people. He loves loving students. And the way that this looks for him, and this is going to look different for every single one of us, but if, if love is the, the fruit that we're supposed to be yielding, I'm going to show you what one person's fruit looks like, Okay. And this is what Gage's fruit looks like. It looks like him spending, he drives all the way to USI from Newburgh every day, so he's spending a lot of money in gas already. Um, but he drives also to Boonville from Newburgh uh, almost every day to go to lunches, to eat lunch with students at Boonville High School. He spends his, he, he goes and picks up kids to be able to take them to Young Life Club, to events, there, he even has some students who ask to go to church with him on Sunday morning in Newburgh, but they live here in Chandler or in Boonville. He drives all the way over here and then back to Newburgh in order to do that. He's And for a college student who doesn't have a whole lot of time to be studying, uh, to, to be able to do the work that you need to, big projects in college, all of this stuff, he's sacrificing time, he's sacrificing his money, he's sacrificing time that he could be spending with friends his own age, but he's doing this out of selfless love. These are not high schoolers that are going to be like, oh, I'll pay you back one day. Like, that's, that's not the case. He's doing this totally for the love of other people. And the reason that he's doing this is because he's, he's connected to the life source of Jesus. And that love has extended itself to other people. And you know what people see whenever they see Gage? They, they, they're not like, wow, Gage, you're just a great guy. I wish I could be like Gage. They, they know that Gage is talking about Jesus. Gage loves them because he loves Jesus and because Jesus loves him. And that love is being extended. And what they see whenever they see Gage is they want to be connected to the life source of Gage. And that's the intention for every single one of us is we're supposed to be out loving people selflessly with everything that we have. And people are supposed to look at us and say, what are you connected to? Where does your energy come from? Where, is, where does that love that you are showing me come from? And we're supposed to point them towards Jesus. And we're praying for those opportunities. Because Jesus wants to open up those opportunities for us. The Father cuts off the branches that aren't truly attached to the vine. In order that the other branches might bear more fruit. I don't know if you can see this, but this has nothing on it. Um, and it's kind of broken here at the end. And if I had brought my scissors that I brought specifically for this purpose um, and not left them in that back room, then I would cut this off right now. But this is sucking off life 
from the rest of these branches. All right? It's completely pointless. It's not going to yield anything. But whenever I cut this off, the, the nutrients that are going towards a twig that's not going to do anything are going to go towards growing things out of all of these branches. And God says, some of you, there, there are people who have attached themselves to the label of Christianity who are not Christians. And they're sucking resources, they're sucking the life from what God wants to do in this world. And they're even taking away from what God wants to do in this world. And those people need to be cut off. So there are some who are posers. And I think what Jesus has in mind here are the Pharisees who would say that they have the righteousness of God and that they are like God's special people on earth and all of this. But instead, they were really posers. And those people needed to be cut off and they, they're going to be tossed away so that there can be life to the true vine that comes from Jesus, right? So if you're, if you're not attaching yourself to Jesus, then you're not a part of the vine. But on top of that, I think there's, this is twofold, this pruning. There's also pruning that needs to take place in me. There's pruning that needs to take place in you. You need to look at what in your life is coming from, like, is taking your energy and is producing no fruit. And that fruit is love. Again, it's not just whatever, oh yeah, well, at the end of this, I had to show $10,000. That's great. That's not the fruit. The fruit doesn't necessarily look like money. It doesn't necessarily look like the things that we hold up as really good in this world, right? It's love. Is there love being produced in the end? Now, can we produce love in just about any way that we do it? Like any anything that we do, anything that um, we are doing in life? Yes. But some things can, can be better than others, right? Um, we listened to a speaker yesterday, and he, he said that there was a children's ministry, his children's ministry at his church. They had a lot of things going on. They had uh, Sunday morning, they had Wednesday night, they had VBS, and then they had two other things. And he said that they their leader stepped down uh, and said, we're not going to be able to do this anymore. And then they had he had these two people who kind of showed up now every now and then, and he knew that it was not going to be sustained. Like, they, they weren't going to be able to do all these things, right, with two people who just come every once in a while. So he said, you know, what if instead of doing five things, we took away all of these and we did one? We did Sunday morning and we did that really well. What if all the energy that's going into each of these, we took away and we put all that energy into one? And what ended up happening was those two workers who were kind of like, wow, I don't want to be super involved. Instead, we're super involved because they were like, I, I'm just going to be involved in putting my energy into one thing. They pruned off these things that were not bringing life that were not like that were sucking the energy uh, from these people. That was it was not producing a lot of fruit, and they they put it into one thing. Now that's a that's a better best analogy, but there there are also other things that we let into our lives, and this is this is what I'm going to end with. So please close or please pay attention to this. All right, think about this, because I know that for some of us the better best thing makes sense, but for we also know that there are some bad things that are sucking our energy. There are bad things that are not connected to the source of life. They're not connected to Jesus, and they're things that we continue to do that are just bringing death at every turn. 
It's the pride that you feed when you belittle those around you. It's the lies that you maintain in order to look better than you are. It's the pet sin that you're convinced is not affecting anyone. And so it's really not that bad. It's choosing to spend time watching TV or being on your phone when you have a spouse or kids that need to be shown love and attention. It's the things that are sucking your life away and yielding no fruit. Those are pointless endeavors that you need to cut off and toss into the fire. You need to let God take his shears on you, which does not feel good, right? This, it's, it's a painful process, but to, to evaluate what are those things in my life that are utterly pointless, that I keep doing, that I'm maintaining, that are just sucking my life out, and they're bringing nothing but death, or they're just like a twig that's yielding nothing. So we need to do some self-evaluation, and we need to let God come in and change us. We need to let God come in and evaluate what is bringing life and what is not bringing life. We know that Jesus is the source of life, and we know that there's nothing that we can do apart from him. So let's get back to the life source. Let's get back to Jesus. And it says that we have to abide in him and in his word. We need to be in his word daily, in prayer, in communion with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, dependent on him for our every breath. So where is it in your life that you need to cut off some stuff? Is it, is it a better, best situation or is it things that you, you already know? Like whenever I was mentioning those bad things that are sucking life from you, you already know that that thing's there and you need to cut it off. Let God work in your heart. Let God trim up your vine so that you can bear more fruit. Let's pray.